You are listening to the Ibn Abi Umar podcast. This is your host, Umar Osman. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited to be back with a brand new episode. This is one that I have been trying to schedule for a while and have been looking forward to recording for a long time. It is an episode with Sheikh Suleiman Hani from Al Maghrib Institute and Yakin Institute. The title of the episode is destination setting and it goes into detail on how we anchor our decision making to the akhira i know that might sound a little obvious at first but we get into a lot of detail on the importance of the worldview that you adopt how this idea of destination setting plays into decisions like ethical business and career ambition um, daily habits to support the right type of destination setting and a lot of other really really good topics I really enjoyed this discussion. I learned a lot uh, just from you know listening to it and interviewing Sheikh Suleiman Hani. Uh, and inshallah, hope that you guys find this of benefit as well. Please make sure that you are subscribed to the email list. I've got a couple of new articles in the pipeline that are coming out very soon. And as always, if you have not yet grabbed your copy of the book Fick of Social Media from Amazon, please make sure you do that if you have read it. Um, a review and rating on Amazon is always appreciated. And with that, we will get into the episode. Assalamualaikum, everyone. We're joined by Sheikh uh, Suleiman Hani of Al Maghrib Institute and Yakin Institute. Uh, Sheikh, how are you doing today? Alhamdulillah, barakallahu feekum, jazakallahu khair for having me on. Jazakallahu khair. So, Sheikh, I wanted to have you on to, you know, in the broader theme of uh, personal development faith-based approaches. Uh, I'd reached out to you and you'd mentioned something along the lines of destination setting, goal setting, and anchoring within Akhira perspective, which I thought was a really interesting take on some of these common topics that we hear about a lot. Let me just open it up with that general question of destination setting. Like what, what is that? How do you view it? What's the importance of it? So the first thing that I'll say is that oftentimes when it comes to decision-making, personal development, uh, the self-help industry. Obviously, there are a lot of subjective uh, opinions and views about what is most effective and most efficient for all people or for a particular uh, community of people. And the reason I say for a particular community of people is because, for example, from the Islamic perspective, when it comes to looking at destinations, looking at where you want to end up, what goals you're setting, I believe, uh, I, I do say it's an Islamic perspective, but it's also just from a general philosophical perspective that we must first begin with a worldview because our worldview impacts pretty much all of our decisions, our lifestyles, what we decide to do. A worldview, for those who don't know, basically is a set of beliefs about how you view the world, a set of beliefs about some uh, very fundamental aspects of reality. And all of these beliefs that you have, and we're not talking here about where they come from, but the beliefs that you do already have, they essentially influence all of your perceiving, your thinking, your analyzing, your knowing, and then your doing, your decisions. So in a way, our goals, our decisions, our lifestyles are shaped by what we believe. And that includes oftentimes things that we are certain about and things we are uncertain about as well as uh, opinions about maybe random things. And our values in terms of you know, the destination that we seek, 
includes the the specific goal where you want to end up the objectives that you have the strategies as well and then the trade-offs and all of this really i know it sounds like a, a complicated answer to a very simple question of destinations and what does that mean before we we you know uh, decide we want to become better or improve or progress towards a certain goal uh, we we all as human beings need to take a step back and reflect frequently on the worldview that we have who so, am i yeah yeah so let's i love this idea of worldview um because i think anytime i'm looking at something even if it's like reading a book right you see the worldview of the author and how it's impacting the works. So like you mentioned a couple of things, like for example, decision-making or goal setting. If someone is writing from a worldview of, let's say the author is atheist and they're writing from a secular or you know, grounded in capitalism perspective, the way that they'll approach a topic like personal development or professional growth, or even what the end destination is much differently than let's say an author, maybe they're not Muslim, but maybe they're writing with a faith-based perspective in mind. And that also will differ from how a Muslim is approaching it. But, you know, let, well, maybe let's start here. What would you, what would an Islamic worldview be for you? Like beyond just, yes, we believe in the Akhir, we, you know, follow the Quran and Sunnah, but what does an Islamic worldview actually look like in terms of when we're interpreting you know, all this information around us? Sure. Uh, I'll say two things. The first, I, I really like your comment on the different approaches. Uh, an atheist might write about this in a very different way than uh, a Muslim, and also someone who is attempting to remove their views, their worldview, from their writings in order to make it more secular or appealing to all people. And oftentimes, uh, a, a mistake could be made, and sometimes it is, and other times it's not uh, made, which is uh, trying to avoid one's worldview in uh, approaching all people or as many people as possible uh, for the sake of profits or impact, whatever it may be, uh, eventually is going to lead to the question of transcendence. Like, what is it that you want? Why do you value that destination, that goal that you have? What is it that you want with your life? And uh, I'll give an example. And, and I know that this is still responding to the first point, but it is really crucial because it's the foundation of the entire uh, discussion here. A uh, Harvard professor teaching, uh, for example, coaching psychology is teaching about all the different elements of uh, coaching and coaching psychology and uh, habits, decisions, uh, all of that stuff. And then ultimately it gets to the point where, yes, it, it looks like it is secular throughout. It's not talking about a, a particular religion or faith, but it eventually gets to the point where we discuss transcendence as one of the most important elements in the discussion. And so I decided to have a private conversation with this professor. Uh, uh, essentially, this is a, a five, six day intensive course at Harvard. And the conversation really for me was just to, to, to hear at least from this professor who's been teaching coaching psychology for at least 25, 30 years, was to hear about her perspective in terms of the role of religion and spirituality and belief in God or belief in the divine reality on goal setting, on decision making. And in private, she said, there's a certain way I can teach a course to accommodate as many people as possible who don't believe in God. Uh, but in terms of my beliefs and what I found in my studies in terms of psychology, in terms of helping people, in terms of people's progress, 
is that belief in God and belief in a divine reality certainly has a positive impact on the way that people live their lives and drives them towards goals that they believe are objective, they're factual rather than uh, arbitrary, that I'm making up my own purpose in life and my own worldview. I'm putting on basically lenses that I've made rather than lenses that were made to see the world. And so this is why I wanted to start with that point. And I appreciate what you said about this. From the Islamic perspective, the worldview essentially is the, the entirety of the set of, let's say, the pillars of Iman, the pillars of faith, right? To believe in God. And obviously, every one of these pillars has its own detailed study and description for each person. Believe in God, believe in the angels, to believe in life after death, to believe in the prophets and messengers, as well as the scriptures. And then the final scripture that was preserved for all of mankind as a form of guidance. Uh, and then, of course, uh, belief, uh, not just in the afterlife, but belief in destination or decree, uh, the easy and the difficult. This essentially is a, is a summary of the Islamic worldview about why we exist and the different pillars of uh, reality. You know what, you mentioned the professor talking about in private, you know, the world, how that worldview is, you know, in the context of transcendence. One thing I've noticed with the Muslim audience is we have a specific worldview but sometimes, it's, and, and I don't mean to bring like religion in the workplace or some, you know, specific situations like that, but in, in a more general sense, I feel we're sometimes hesitant to share our worldview because it might alienate people. And I think there's something here in terms of sharing the Islamic worldview actually would be beneficial for people. How do you get people to bridge that gap where we're hesitant to share it and maybe not realizing that that's what people may need to hear? That's a really good question. And the first thing that I'll say is that uh, obviously anyone who, who hears this should realize that every situation is different. Every context is different and it requires some, maybe some thought and some wisdom to how you approach each situation. So there's no one you know, blanket answer for everything. However, uh, the, the, the one misconception that I, I do wanna address that many people have is that there is such thing as neutrality or pure secularism from a philosophical perspective. What I mean by this is that everyone has a worldview. Everyone believes in something. Everyone is looking at the world or perceiving the world in some way, whether or not they, they, they're addressing it or the terminology and the words that they use are maybe uh, sugarcoating it or hiding it or attempting to hide it. It's more subtle at times. But oftentimes, we start to hear the same terms over and over and over, or the same type of language or rhetoric that's used to the extent that some people believe that there is pure neutrality with no worldview taught in, for example, schools or exemplified in workplaces. Um, but the reality is in most disciplines that are taught at secular schools or public schools and uh, universities and so on and so forth, there is a worldview attached to a lot of what is taught. It's not all we cannot claim that everything is, let's say, uh, pure mathematics, you know, one plus one equals two. There is a worldview attached to Almost what like is being taught. There's always a bias. It's better to just open, be open and recognize it as opposed to trying to hide it or cover it up. There's always a bias, number one. And number two, there is no problem. And this is where maybe sometimes Muslims are worried. And of course, there's a lot more to say about that. That's beyond the scope of uh, our discussion. But sometimes Muslims or others are worried about expressing or showing any, any part of their worldview thinking that it is um, somehow going to uh, basically cast them out as different or make them look uh, like they're aggressive or odd or weird. The reality is 
we can live as human beings side by side and interact openly and express openly, uh, and we should be able to uh, express openly our worldviews or elements of it with one another without feeling like there's a problem with disagreements with different uh, approaches. And I don't mean here that I am justifying a, a particular worldview that is wrong. What I'm saying is that uh, expressing it is not a problem. And the problem is when people no longer feel comfortable showing uh, what they believe in, in a way that's non you know, hostile or violent or anything like that, while you know, agreeing to disagree. That as Muslims in the workplace, for example, uh, you find that many of the problems people are discussing and many of the issues people struggle with, whether it's in psychology or business or integrity or efficiency or something as simple as the time that you clock in and the fact that you're accountable as a Muslim for every second that you're being paid and that you're not uh, taking advantage or abusing any kind of workplace uh, flexibility or policies or supplies or resources, that you are a person of integrity because of your worldview. Uh, a lot of the problems people face politically and the arguments people have in a very divided, let's say, uh, American nation for now and pretty much anywhere around the world, uh, is because of people's world, worldviews. And oftentimes, if we are not addressing these solutions, and of course, the words that we use may be wise, may be subtle, may don't necessarily need to say, well, my Islamic worldview or Islam says this. Oftentimes, you can just say what the solution is, uh, and them knowing that you're a person of integrity, honesty, values, and also a Muslim uh, with, with, with solutions to all of these problems that we face is its own form of you know, uh, Dao, its own form of showing people what is right, what is true, what is correct in all of these different scenarios. One, one thing that I find, and this is kind of in, in line with this idea of, you know, let's say growth and goal setting and all of that is, and I, I don't know how prevalent this is. I have anecdotally heard it in conversations with people, but it's the idea that in order to succeed, let's say I have growth goals in my career, uh, or with my business or, you know, something of that nature, progressing in the corporate world, whatever it may be, that an Islamic worldview will hold you back in the sense that some of the skills that are needed to get ahead, uh, there's elements of things like self-promotion. There's elements of things like stepping up and, you know, taking leadership and not deferring to someone else. Whereas maybe if you're working in, let's say like at the mustard or volunteering, and someone's doing a good job, you would defer and say, you know, alhamdulillah, this brother's doing better than I would, I should step back and let them do it. But in the corporate world, it's almost quite the opposite, where you actually have to push yourself forward. And that sometimes goes against that, what, it, what we might perceive to be an Islamic worldview. I really, I really like that you said what we might perceive to be, because oftentimes when these questions come up uh, from community members, uh, struggling with different, let's say, corporate issues, oftentimes their, their perspectives about what is or is not Islamic is not accurate. Like the idea of not, uh, I don't want to say self-promotion because oftentimes it means very specific things and, and different things to different people, but the idea that you can't put yourself in a position of leadership or management in the corporate world. And that's not true even outside of the corporate world. There are a lot of misconceptions here. What I would say is number one for, for Muslims in general is to ensure that uh, your belief about these different, let's say, situational issues is actually Islamic, or is actually reflective of uh, the Islamic perspective. 
And the reason I say that is because a lot of the, the problems can be overcome by just making sure and ensuring that it is true, it is accurate, that I can or cannot do such and such from the Islamic worldview. Um, and, and this includes uh, putting oneself out there for uh, management, making networking, connections, things like that. There are, of course, things that are prohibited. And oftentimes in some spheres, to be very frank, in some types of, I don't want to say industries, but uh, industries and, and, and role of society, there are things that Muslims, yes, will not be able to get ahead in because most of that, let's say, environment is, um, is, is based off of who can, let's say, exemplify certain immoral traits that we disagree with the best. And so because of that, a certain thing may be difficult for a Muslim to progress in. And this can really apply to so many different things right. that we experience in life. You know, I have friends who, for example, are selling actively on uh, on e-commerce websites. And one of the things that they struggle with is a lot of the tactics used by those who are trying to outsell them their competition are immoral, unethical things. And they may even be uh, violations of policies of these companies. But these, these other sellers, for example, will have like fake reviews or bombarding this particular competition mm. with you know, one-star reviews as an example. So the friend says, what, what am I supposed to do? Because you know, as, as Muslims, we do these things. We have certain uh, you know, guidelines we follow and we'll stick to them. But people who are getting ahead are getting ahead with their uh, immorality, with, with a lack of integrity. And uh, honestly, I, I recognize the difficulty in that in some scenarios, depending on what it is. But what we value ultimately in terms of the payoff is much greater than what they're getting as a payoff. And it's important to consider that in the decision-making proce uh, process when you're thinking about what you're doing and why you're doing it, who you're doing it for and what you want to end up with. You staying honest and a person of integrity is because you believe it to be true and you believe in the payoff. For example, the pleasure of God and eternal paradise. And that's not something you can kind of put a price tag on compared to any worldly payoff. Um, and it, it, will, it will at times in some scenarios uh, limit Muslims in terms of progressing in some circles but in most other areas of society and workplace and education and so on and so forth, uh, it is possible for a Muslim to uh, get ahead, to excel, to promote oneself within, within a certain context by also reflecting on their own humility, why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm doing this to, uh, for example, uh, progress in the, the uh, corporate ladder for the sake of benefiting the community, my family, but also I recognize that any good that I have in me of traits or qualifications I attribute all good to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not from me. And that's the difference between um, maybe a secularized approach to uh, confidence in oneself versus uh, the Islamic worldview, which is we humble ourselves towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and recognize our need for him and for his blessings, that there are people who work harder than every CEO in this world, and yet those people don't have a fraction of material wealth. Uh, so that's not necessarily its own, let's say, uh, factor for being successful. And it's important to attribute good in general to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and recognize our, you know, fragility, our weaknesses, so that we remain humble while we are uh, in a strategic way, in a corporate environment, leading because we believe we are qualified or putting ourselves ahead because uh, we believe we'll make things better. And as a result of making things better from the Islamic perspective, it betters, let's say, society or our communities or our families. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, when you mentioned the example about like the e-commerce, some of that stuff, it's it's challenging because that's how the game is played. But in a sense, there's clear boundaries in terms of 
you know, what we can or can't do, right? Like we would know, for example, giving someone fake one-star reviews would be lying. And like, you know, even anyone knows lying is wrong, right? That's all like a very clear boundary. I think the struggle sometimes is the areas where the, maybe the values are less clear. And so like a lot of what you were talking about in terms of attributing success to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and so on, the biggest challenge that I've noticed is narcissism, you know, in varying degrees. Uh, just because it does tend to get rewarded. And because it sometimes gets rewarded, people feel that they also need to emulate it. But that it's almost feels like a bigger trap because the boundaries aren't as clear cut. That's, that's very true. And I would say when someone is in such a situation, just ask, like ask about your particular situation, ask someone of knowledge that you trust uh, to ensure that the way that you are uh, I, I don't want to say playing the game, but uh, in a way you are playing a game when you're in different politically, uh, political, uh, you know, um, environments, whether it's a workplace or a masjid or anything else. But ask about the situation that you feel to be a gray area and get guidance, two, three opinions on something that really is not, it doesn't seem clear cut. But uh, I would say that not everything, not everything that people uh, chase after in this world, even if they're being rewarded for it in a material way, is good. We, we already know this in terms of our worldview. So there are going to be limitations and boundaries. What they are will vary from person to person and context to context. So I would just advise the one who is uh, looking for answers and clarity to make sure that what they're doing is permissible and it's not affecting their faith negatively and it's not going to cost them anything in terms of the afterlife or their pursuit of the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I think that's a good segue to now this idea of destination setting. Um, so we, we've talked about the worldview, we've talked a little bit about values. How should that drive this idea of destination setting and what we're working toward? Excellent. Jazakallah khairan. So one way to begin, and this is obviously from the Islamic worldview, uh, one of my favorite ways to begin, and uh, eventually I, I feel that this is uh, worthy of publishing a book on the topic, inshallah ta'ala, and I am teaching this in numerous classes, is starting off with a hadith. And the first time I heard this prophetic narration, I really was, uh, I mean, uh, obviously when we read random hadith here and there, some hit us more than others, some impact us more than others. When I read this hadith in particular, I, I paused and I just started thinking about it and how real the, the potentiality is. And I'll share what the hadith is so that there's no more anticipated, inshallah. The translation of which is that the Prophet wasallam, peace be upon him, said, there is no one amongst you who does not have two positions, one in paradise and one in the hellfire. The believer will have a house built for him in paradise and his house in the hellfire will be demolished. The understanding of scholars based on this hadith is that all people, all uh, basically the children of Adam have already two positions, meaning two possibilities in terms of destinations, one in paradise and one in the hellfire. When the believers enter paradise, the position that was, uh, let's say, had their name on it in hellfire is demolished or removed. And the disbeliever who is not eventually going to uh, basically enter paradise, uh, such a person, because they're not going to enter paradise, will have uh, their position in paradise demolished when they enter the hellfire. So the places of Jannah, paradise, are only for the people of paradise. And the places of the hellfire are essentially only for the people of the hellfire. The, the, the frightening reality of this hadith is that 
because we start off with a worldview of knowing what we believe, we believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we believe in life after death, we believe in paradise and hellfire, and these are realities that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala already created. This hadith demonstrates the potential for all people to enter paradise or hellfire. And you know, the, the, the initial emotional response to this should include some elements of fear that if my decisions are certain types of decisions, then the position in the hellfire that has my name on it might manifest as a reality. And if I don't ensure that I'm reflecting on my decisions in the right way, in a correct way, then uh, eventually, you know, the, the position in paradise will be missed out on. But if I do take care of that, then the position of paradise will be manifested in reality. And I, I know there's a lot more to say about this hadith. In fact, the entire discussion could really circular around this one hadith. But the point I want to make is we begin with the two possible destinations in mind, not one. One uh, being obviously the one that we want, the, the one that we desire, and that's paradise. And the alternative possibility and the only other option, which is the helper, and that's the destination that we seek to avoid. This is the foundation essentially of the um, like the link between destinations and decisions that I want to start with. I'm curious about your thoughts about this hadith, Omar. So the question that came to mind, so, you know, you mentioned decisions that we make, and I, you know, I think there's an obvious understanding in terms of, you know, how I decide to spend my money it can be, you know, has a direct link to this hadith. My question for you would be, what about other decisions, especially in the context of, let's say goal setting and professional growth that may not be clear. So for example, if I'm deciding between, you know, getting an MBA or a master's in finance, for example, right? You know, something where I'm, I'm trying, uh, it's, you know, in, in my life, it seems like a very huge decision. Like what should I go to grad school for, for example? But ultimately I don't see either of these affecting my akhirah in a sense. Now, you know, like I understand I should have an Islamic worldview on everything. How do I tie that ultimate destination to decisions like this, which they're not inconsequential, but at the same time, I don't see how they line up. Excellent. That's an excellent question. And that's, that's exactly what I hope to uh, link for people in uh, several seminars that I teach and, and online and offline. It, it is what people perceive to be a gap between or a, a severe disconnect between our decisions in this world, what seems to be purely for a dunya, and our beliefs in the destinations that do exist. And this is why I, I wanted to start with the, uh, I guess, the bigger picture here, the worldview, right? So you start with the two positions, both of these are a reality. The question is for you to make it to paradise, what needs to happen in this world? So there's, I guess, the micro and the macro here. If you're thinking about paradise and you say, that is what I desire, uh, this is the destination that I seek. And there's the question of why, why is this so valuable to you? Why is this so important to you? What is its description? How does it motivate you? These are important questions and daily reflections that we take from different sources like prayer. When we're asking for paradise, we're asking for forgiveness, we're asking for protection against the fire. These are also things we take from our daily uh, recitation, hopefully daily recitation of the Quran, that we're, we're seeing constant reminders about these two destinations and the general destination of the afterlife, that we were not created for this world or to remain in this world. Now, the, the question on a practical level in terms of everyday life is how then do we link our goals and our decisions and our decision-making process to what we desire of the ultimate 
destination. I would say when you have your ultimate destination in mind and you're thinking about, let's say, a very summarized, I know I am really summarizing a much longer discussion, um, possibly 12 to 14 hours of seminar discussions into just a few minutes here. If you're taking your final destination of paradise and your life mission statement, I exist because or I uh, or my life mission uh, is such and such, to worship God, to make it to paradise. Simplified. I know there's a lot more detail, but this is the most important thing you want to take from your life before you start talking about your career, your education, your relationship, your children. If you could only take one thing from your existence before you die, it's going to depend on your worldview. But as a Muslim, it's going to be that I want to fulfill the purpose of life, to worship God, to make it to paradise. And to worship God means certain things. Uh, in terms of rituals, prayer, fasting, all of that. And then in terms of how I live my life. This is where a lot of people think there is uh, or, or feel that there is a, a disconnect between what they're doing and what they uh, believe to be, let's say, a few rituals that are decisions that they're actively making that lead to paradise. With career, education, work, all of that, a person should reflect on, let's say, for example, uh, the, the goals that I have in these different realms or different uh, spheres of life, uh, education, uh, health, relationships, uh, everything but rituals, but I buy that because that's its own thing that we should be developing. Uh, how do I link these to my purpose in life, to the destination that I seek? And so if I'm working, the question is, first of all, before what job am I pursuing or what career do I want? Why am I working? What is the point of all of this? And a lot of people, yes, are asking, what is the point of work in general? And oftentimes in, in today's, um, I, I guess, uh, today's uh, discussions and, and dialogue, a lot of people are very nihilistic, right? And obviously many of them may be atheist or agnostic or just non-practicing uh, Christians or even possibly Muslims, but people seeing work as a mundane uh, task that they absolutely hate. From the Islamic perspective, the question of why and how is this linked to paradise is a really important question because you start to realize that your work is not, it's not purely for the sake of, let's say, making money. It's not for just an income or a livelihood. Because if you stop there and you don't link your livelihood to your existence, then something is missing internally. Uh, and also uh, a conscious decision is, is then being uh, missed out on, which is the, the, the point of livelihood, the point of, point of survival in general is to take care of my family, my community, other people. Let's say uh, the work that you do in particular, let's say it has some kind of impact on society or it's doing something very particular or uh, whatever it may be, you're, you're doing something to advance something for society, to benefit people, to provide a resource that people need. So I am working for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and I am doing, let's say X, Y, Z, whatever the job is, Yes, for multiple reasons. One of them is for a livelihood. And that income that I'm, I'm receiving is not just for the sake of pleasure or desires or for my own fulfillment. It's for the sake of benefiting society, contributing to society, being able to give in charity, being a, a, a giving hand rather than just a receiving hand. And that's an advice from the Prophet When we start thinking of all the reasons that our work is linked to paradise, the final destination that we seek, perhaps we'll have a more conscious decision-making uh, process and even choosing the job that we're pursuing. And in fact, this is exactly what we've heard from community members when we've talked about linking your decisions here to your destination there. Because for example, a community member who was 
um, in a small dilemma, if you will, trying to choose between two different uh, careers, two different offers that he had, both very lucrative. And he said one of them seemed a little better financially, but a lot worse spiritually, meaning I, I couldn't find uh, a really good link between that job and my purpose uh, in life and paradise and uh, everything else. So he said, I actually opted for the other job, but I'm much happier. I'm really happy with what I'm doing because I feel like it is linked consciously to why I exist and the purpose for working to begin with. So this is one example of linking something that seems to be worldly to our destination. And what happens is every second you're working and studying for that job ends up also becoming a conscious act of worship. So you're rewarded for it by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's also more, number two, more barakah in it. There's blessings in what you do because you're doing it for the sake of Allah. You're not doing it for a kind of secular worldly thing. You're doing this for something greater. And number three, most people find that, and this is anecdotal, but I'm sure there are studies on this. Most people who link their jobs and their studies to something uh, transcendent beyond the material tend to be happier, that it's more meaningful. And they, they tend to be able to get through the difficult and mundane parts of work or studies because it's not, it's not ending there. Rather, it's linked to something greater. Yeah, it's very interesting that you mentioned that part about getting through something mundane. I've noticed the same thing, which is unless people have, and you know, like I work in the corporate world, you encounter all types of people. Um, unless people have some personal tie to something transcendent, it's very difficult for them to get through, even when things are hard at work right? Like that idea of being able to persist through, make it out to the other side and so on. If they don't have some sort of transcendent belief, uh, also the failure rate is actually much higher. Yeah, subhanAllah, that, that, that's so true. And, and especially these days, as people get more and more comfortable, and um, in fact, especially, you know, in, in terms of being timely, especially during this pandemic, uh, we find that a lot of people are rethinking their decisions. A lot of people had time to reflect. A lot of people are, uh, you know, with a shortage in, in staffing all around the world and, and in the U.S. as well. A lot of people are rethinking their decisions in terms of where they're living, why they're working that way, why they're commuting an hour and a half, two hours every day for a job that they don't even enjoy. A lot of people are reflecting on the sacrifices that they're making by working and not seeing family. Uh, people are obviously discussing work from home and now demanding it. And many companies are uh, trying to accommodate that. So it's interesting to see where the worldview comes in here. And when people really reflect on what they believe in and what matters to them beyond the, the material, uh, it tends to, to lead to better decisions in terms of the types of jobs that they take and how meaningful they find their jobs to begin with. And in fact, I would encourage those who are able to and those who have uh, some choice, inshallah ta'ala, to try to pursue jobs that are more meaningful, that are more linked to or strongly linked to your ultimate destination. But this doesn't mean that, uh, you, you know, taking on a mundane job is a problem because still you're doing it as an act of worship. Your goal, your motivation is beyond just, hey, I'm, I'm doing this for an income. Your income has its own goals that are linked to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, linked to your purpose in life. And this is important, uh, obviously, even before that in education. This is important in terms of relationships when people are getting married or people are choosing their, their companionship, their friends, uh, people are choosing their uh, educational pathways. They're looking at first, again, the worldview, the final destination that is possible um, of paradise or hellfire. And if you're choosing paradise and you're really motivated and you're really eager to make it there because of its value, because of how amazing it is in ways we cannot really describe, 
then make sure that your decisions here towards the, 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 the career, the education are going to bring you closer to that in some way. Don't cut it off because some people think, well, I have a question. From the Islamic perspective, it's possible for something to be mubah, like permissible, but it's not rewarding and it's not sinful. It's just purely uh, worldly in a way. And there's no conscious decision that my education or my work are for a spiritual or transcendent reason. Is that permissible? Yes, but what is the problem with that? If you are someone who you believe yourself to be ambitious and you believe yourself to be taking you know, every wise and reasonable decision to make it to uh, paradise as a final destination, then you have here an opportunity cost. By not intending your education and your uh, entirety of your work and your career life, any kind of work that you do, by not intending that for the sake of Allah and not tying that to paradise, you're missing out on massive possible rewards, opportunities, barakah, blessings, and obviously the, the, the tranquility and the happiness that comes with that. So yes, there are major decisions in life that we make that should be uh, directly tied into paradise. And I urge people to take a step back and reflect before making major decisions on how this is linked to paradise, why that's so important, why this is so valuable, for you and inshallah ta'ala that list that you make uh, i know this sounds very practical and, and maybe simplistic but a list of motivators the question of why is really powerful when you're struggling when things are mundane go back to that list and uh, when you're feeling things are difficult go back to the list and reflect more on it why you started this to begin with and where you are today and what needs to change for you to improve that tomorrow and then you have the minor decisions and it's said by some i don't know if this is accurate by some researchers that we make more than 30,000 decisions a day. Obviously, most of these are subconscious and constantly happening. Uh, for example, I'm making constant decisions right now uh, in speaking with you, Omar, and you're making constant decisions right. uh, you know, in, in speaking back. So yes, there are a lot of decisions that we make that are subconscious and some less significant than others. But the point is that when we, you know, I don't want to say train ourselves, but uh, discipline ourselves and tie in our habits, these subconscious habits to that final destination of paradise by referencing it, by thinking about it, by praying for it, by studying it as well and, and ensuring that our goals are tied uh, major and minor to the worldview, we, we tend to be making, uh, let's say 30,000 good decisions rather than missing out on all of these opportunities like somebody zoning out in a Friday khutbah because uh, although it's 15 minutes, it's short, it's great, uh, let's say a great speaker and all of that eloquent, very beneficial, but the person just zoning out because internally, uh, they're struggling to link, let's say, their uh, their lives and their their experiences to something greater, something transcendent. As uh, as an example, so I'm I'm curious. You know, no one would ever willingly come and say, "I'm I'm anchoring my decisions to the hellfire," right? Like that, you know, would not be something a normal person <laughs> ever said. But I'm what I'm curious about, though, have you come across any situations where someone? is maybe rationalizing to themselves or even outwardly saying, you know, I'm doing this with the goal of paradise, but it's in actuality behavior that would be anchored to the hellfire. That's a great question. And oftentimes uh, what we see, and, and this is actually uh, an explicit point that I make in, in some of the classes that I teach, which is that if you're constantly linking everything to paradise, your habits as well, and then you run into an action you cannot intend for the sake of Allah, like you cannot really tie it into paradise, this does not bring you closer to that destination, then pause and reflect on the action because there's something problematic with it. And of course, you have some people who uh, know that what they're doing is wrong, 
that it's anchored into the hellfire, let's say. And then you have people who try to justify a wrongdoing. And these are two different things. One is uh, maybe lazy. One is um, exhausted. One is uh, missing something in their connection with the law, not enough motivation, not enough hope, not enough fear, for example. And then the other is, and this is much more dangerous, the other is prideful. And that's, that's actually one of the definitions of kibir, arrogance or pride uh, from the Islamic worldview is that a person receives the truth and then they reject it. So they, they try to justify what they're doing. And of course, that's exactly what the devil did when he was uh, reprimanded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Instead of accepting responsibility for his actions, he blamed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Bima of whitening. Basically, you made me do this. Why? Why is he blaming God? He's like, because you basically, because you created Adam, السلام, you told me to prostrate to him. And then Adam and Hawa, when they were reprimanded, they repented to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They acknowledged what they did. They asked Allah for forgiveness and then they moved on. Our Lord, we wronged ourselves. They recognize the reality that if you don't forgive us and have mercy on us, we will surely be amongst the losers. So yes, there are people who try to justify their actions and they, they think that what they're doing is right. And that's actually one of the most frightening things in this world uh, for a person to be uh, so steeped in their arrogance that they refuse to see that they're wrong. They refuse to take advice. They refuse to uh, reconsider their action. Uh, when generally, generally speaking, in terms of uh, Islam, the moral and immoral are known to most people uh, at the general basic level. Right. Um, and so somebody who's sincere and willing to be uh, corrected and, and to uh, basically uh, acknowledge what they're doing is wrong will do that. But the problem is what it goes back to the worldview. You know, like uh, I, I know this sounds like a tangent here, but an example that a lot of people are struggling with in America today is that much of their worldview may be influenced by um, what they think is, is secular or completely cut off from religion. But in fact, it is a worldview belief systems based on. Uh, let's say social movements or social social justice causes or progressives or liberals or conservatives. These are all words that mean many things to different people. So I'm not, don't, don't get hung up on the words, but ultimately they're taking their beliefs about what is right or wrong or what rights each person should have or should not have or how we should govern societies. And they're, they're, they're being impacted by these worldviews. And it's in a way, it's like a lens that you're wearing. It's no longer based on let's say, Islam. So now they're looking into Islam and they're looking through that lens of whatever belief that they took. So it starts to become confusing to them. Why is this in Islam? How is that right? I don't agree with that. We should change this and that. Yeah, and honestly, one, one of yeah. our biggest challenges is that people have a worldview without realizing that they have one. It's almost yeah. like the, the culture of the society affects you, but I don't think people realize to what extent. 100%. SubhanAllah. And, and that's why oftentimes when people are, when Muslims are struggling with the different uh, elements of faith, we, we remind them, you know, recognize what is wrong first so that you can work on it. But the problem is if you don't even believe as a worldview, if you don't believe what you're doing is wrong, there's a greater problem. There's a greater risk here because then you're, you're making a decision based on a worldview where you're expecting an outcome like paradise. Uh, but paradise has criteria that we know about. So the one who created paradise, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, also told us about the criteria of success, what it means to be successful, and the details, and sometimes the general boundaries, the details and the boundaries of morality that's objective. So for a person to then come with a different worldview and try to modify parts of it, whether due to desires or emotions or uh, anger or um, arrogance, pride, reasoning, uh, or you know, just being misled by other uh, belief systems, they're expecting paradise with a different set of 
criteria with a different set of conditions. And that's problematic in decision-making because you have to know your destination. You have to know the outcome. You have to know the criteria and the conditions that are required to make it there. And, and then you have like the payoff table. You have basically all the possibilities uh, in terms of what might happen along the way. Uh, but ultimately we're all looking for that in a way, we're looking for the largest payoff. And sometimes that doesn't come through rationalizing because what's reasonable is more obvious, uh, you know, working for paradise. Sometimes emotions and internal spiritual, let's say issues or defective traits may overcome us, may Allah protect us all. Uh, Sheikh, one thing that you mentioned earlier was, you know, having the discipline around your daily decisions. Um, you know, I think for a lot of people, well, let's just say for me, right, I might say like, okay, you know, intellectually, yes, I have a desire to anchor my decision making to paradise, for example. But in the execution of it on a day to day basis, I might not be as cognizant of that as maybe is required for me to actually attain it. What would your advice be for someone to build that muscle of, you know, increasing the discipline of keeping the Akhirah in mind with a lot of those mundane decisions that, again, they just tend to go into the background. We don't think about it, but having that fresh intention on them is so important. Excellent question, SubhanAllah. This is one of the most important questions that really brings uh, to our daily uh, realities and our practical lives the implementation of, of what we're discussing here. Uh, there are a lot of different things to, to list. Amongst them is uh, notice how, as human beings, we are in need of constant reminders, right? And, and this sounds like a very commonsensical statement, but what I mean by this is, even from the Islamic perspective, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us of this, we are in need of reminders. Remind, meaning remind one another, remind people. For verily, the reminders benefit the believers. This is why, for example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about certain concepts, not once or twice, but sometimes hundreds of times in the Quran. Paradise and hellfire, for example, are not listed. They could have been listed or, sorry, referenced in just one place in the Quran in all details, and that's it. But there's a reason that the, the concepts uh, that help us in terms of the worldview, the motivation, the desires, the emotional parts are in a way interweaved, I don't like to use that word, but throughout the Quran, from beginning to end. So the one who is regularly, for example, reading the Quran and they have a daily habit is constantly being reminded about the things that they need to do and the adjustments that they need to make. So you're being reminded, why do I exist? What do I need to do? This is like someone who says, you know, like on a particular day, I was struggling with something, let's say at work or to, to care about my job or my family or relationship or my faith. And then there's this verse that I recited that I never thought about in this way. And it hit home for me on this day because I'm constantly reciting the Quran. So if you're reciting, for example, with a daily Quran uh, habit or a word in the Arabic language, then you will likely be reminded constantly about the uh, ultimate destination that you seek so that you can correct something in the moment. So the Quran is one. The second is the general pursuit of knowledge. It's not just a reminder. It'll help us in terms of our worldview to better understand and to better be motivated towards paradise. And as a result of that beneficial knowledge that we should be seeking, uh, it impacts basically everything we do and everything we partake in, uh, education, interaction, society, relationships, work. The third is, interestingly, um, one that it's very basic, subhanAllah, but psychologically makes a world of a difference, is constant dhikr and athkar. So the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There, there are different types of remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here on the tongue. 
uh, one type is uh, in specific uh, instances, there are certain dua, certain supplications we should be making. When you leave your house and you say, Bismillah, tawakkaltu ala Allah. When you leave your house and you say, in the name of Allah. Now you have barakah, now you have blessings. As long as you're outside the house, you're protected by Allah. You're putting your trust in Allah. And the, the hadith goes on and you're protected in many different ways. Uh, think of the impact of these different athkar, the authentic uh, supplications that you make in the morning or evening. Uh, there's morning supplications, there are evening supplications. There is no way in the world someone considers himself or herself to be a productive, engaged, connected Muslim. And they're really aiming high, but they're not taking on the simple habit of the morning and evening supplications. And you can find all these authentic supplications in a number of authentic books like Fortress of the Muslim. I really uh, do recommend this. Uh, and it, you can find Hislan Muslim also on you know apps and, and, and online. So I, I recommend that people who are really are trying to connect their afterlife with the dunya in terms of what they're doing to also be engaged in these afkar. Why? Because when you make dhikr, when you remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that dua that you just made entering your workplace, starting your day at work, starting your day, raising your family, starting your day in general, you woke up and you didn't just you know go to your phone and start checking social media or do something random. You woke up and started with remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alhamdulillah, praise be to the one who gave us life after death, and to him is our return, meaning there is an afterlife, there is a destination. So my point here, uh, this third point I know uh, is a little long, but when you learn these different supplications uh, for different contexts, you're essentially going to be reminded of your purpose and the final destination throughout your day, because there's, there's so many dua and supplications for all types of scenarios, for morning to night, and including that last moment right before you sleep and the moment you wake up. And the fourth and last point I'll make for now, and again, there are many others, but for the sake of time, uh, is the, the dhikr that I mentioned that's not necessarily uh, tied into or anchored with, because oftentimes an anchor habit is uh, is something that you know, will help you connect many different things together and it will keep you grounded. But the, uh, the dhikr, the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that's specific to asking for paradise. And in fact, we have a number of authentic hadith in which the Prophet وسلم, peace be upon him, tells us that when a person asks Allah for Jannah, for example, in one hadith, seven times, oh Allah, I ask you for Jannah, Allah Jannah, then paradise makes a dua, prays for you, and says, oh Allah, so-and-so asked you for paradise, so grant him or her paradise. By making this dua, you're not just thinking, oh, you know, paradise is praying for me too, and that's, uh, that's something significant. One of the psychological uh, you know, consequences of this dua, if you make it regularly, and it's, it doesn't have to be seven times or three times, when you're making this dua regularly, Allah ask you for paradise and I seek your protection from the fire, is that you are remembering the two possible destinations constantly. And if you're making this dua at work, at the school place, while you're driving, waiting, between Zoom calls, whatever it may be, you're making a dua that reminds you of why you exist and where you could end up. And if it is that destination of paradise that you seek, then adjust the actions now that you're a part of. So in other words, all of the examples that I gave are ways for us to be reminded of that final destination in everyday life, that you are referencing Allah constantly. You're connecting your prayers, your five prayers, which is why we exist, your five prayers afterwards. You have habits that are tied to them, right? You're reciting ayatul kursi, you're making dua, so because your daily life is really about the afterlife and you're also going to work and remembering Allah, you're being reminded in between the ritual acts of worship of why you exist. So listen to the Quran regularly, listen to lectures, 
make sure that you're asking for Jannah and, and so on and so forth. If you recite the Quran every day, you're likely to be reminded of that destination and Allah knows best. Inshallah. I think that's a, a really good point to close on, inshallah. Any um, final thoughts or advice on this topic that you wanted to share? And the only thing that I'll say is uh, for, for us, inshallah ta'ala, to remember basically the, the conclusion is if paradise is the final destination that you seek, then ensure that your decisions today reflect that. In other words, if you seek paradise as a final destination with all of its descriptions, and you should study its descriptions and hear about it because it motivates it. Actually, according to a number of studies, that would motivate people to uh, pursue it without even seeing it, subhanAllah then act and decide wisely today. And oftentimes it's not that complicated. A person knows in the moment when they hear that reminder, what they need to do differently, right? So you're making choices either uh, proactively and consciously for paradise or choices through elimination. You don't want hellfire. You don't want anything that brings you close to it. So don't play with fire. Don't make that decision that will mess around with your relationship or people or your job or finances that you know is leading down the path that eventually leads to the hellfire. May Allah protect us all. Remember that ultimately planning and dreaming and talking about it or listening to a podcast, all of that is one element. And then the second is taking action. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran, Ladina amanu wa salihat, those who believe, so you have a worldview, and they do good deeds. They pursue the deeds that lead to the end result. And these are tied together, combined in the Quran more than 50 times. And I looked into this because it was so interesting to me that a lot of times people today say they just want to be spiritual. They just want to believe. They, they're trying to take the spiritual benefits here in this world, but they don't realize that their decisions have to encompass actions and will include, more importantly, an eternal afterlife. Decide wisely. Decide wisely. Decide wisely if paradise is the destination that you seek. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us all wise decisions, good actions, and protect us from harm in this life and the next and grant us the destination of paradise. Allah uh, Sheikh. Uh, last thing, anywhere that people can connect with you or follow your work online that you'd like to share? Sure. Barakallah I mean, I'm active on uh, most social media platforms, uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, my website as well. Alhamdulillah, a number of people have reached out through there, imamsuleiman.com. Um, but ultimately, uh, anywhere a person finds me online, inshallah ta'ala, lectures and programs uh, will likely be posted there. So uh, Sulaiman Hani on uh, Instagram is one place to start, inshallah. Jazakallah. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to support the podcast, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts or Google Play or whatever podcast player you use. And please rate and review the podcast. As always, if you share it with a friend that's much appreciated, you can check the show notes for all the details and links. See you in the next episode.